Uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, Luke 22 and uh, the verses uh, 24 to 38. Now this is about the Lord's Supper. This is Luke's account of the Passover meal that Jesus has with his disciples before he suffers. And the Last Supper, um, I I remember as a boy, I went went to uh, Milan, Italy, and there is this beautiful wall painting by, uh, I think it's Leonardo da Vinci, isn't it, of the Last Supper. You've all seen it, Jesus in the middle and the disciples all around. And, and uh, this, this church where it is had survived a direct hit in World War II. The whole church was destroyed and the wall stayed with this painting on it. I mean, talking about miracles. And and it was one of those incredible things that becomes implanted on your memory, uh, even as a young kid. And so I've, I took my wife to see it, you know, with our daughters. And we, we were in Milan, and we went to the church, and it was closed. <laughs> I, that, was felt, that was so sad. It was, it was a great trip we had, but that was a disappointment. Um, But the Last Supper is filled with all kinds of imagery. And I don't know what the image is that you have of the Last Supper, but I do notice that when I read through the Gospels, each Gospel is a little bit different. And when I read in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul's recollection, his recollection is very much based on Luke's Gospel. or maybe Luke picked it up from Paul. It's very possible. Um, but in each culture that we've been in, or each denomination, uh, in each church, local church, people have different practices. Um, I noticed that in Hampstead, uh, it was supposed to be once a quarter, or, but if we had it twice a year, I think in the whole time that we've been there, um, we've been there what two or three times <laughs> eight in eight years we, we've shared communion with them maybe two or three times I must say I'm very grateful that we do it here every month and we will also do it uh, after our service when we have a meal together we're going to share the Lord's Supper together then um, but often it seems that it's just a ritual There are certain guidelines that have developed within churches over centuries, and many of them have deep meanings for each individual person. And so we have a desire to do it in a particular way, take the Lord's Supper. None of them, I can imagine, were actually the way that Jesus did it. Um, But we have put together things in our own minds that are meaningful for us. And so we like to conduct the Lord's Supper that we share with one another in that kind of a context. And we, we think about it and appreciate it or enjoy it in the context with which we do it. Now, growing up in my family, 
with my dad being a pastor and we were on the road a lot, we came from a tradition that had the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And when we were not, when we were on a board ship or something, uh, my dad had a little special uh, thing with a communion set in it, and we would share the Lord's Supper wherever we were on Sunday as a family. Just together as a family, we had a little uh, program that my dad worked out, and we always sang at the end, My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Um, wonderful little hymn. And, and that was part of our family tradition. But when we were in Lebanon, because there was no tradition like the one we came from, um, we went to an Anglican church early in the morning, on Sunday morning, and there was a half-hour uh, communion service that was exactly the same every single Sunday. Um, there was no sermon or anything, but we went through the Book of Common Prayer, and I remember learning it all by rote, and so that was their method of doing it. In the years that have passed, we've had communion in so many different places around the world, in so many different styles, in so many different ways as people have, have done it. I remember, for example, um, when I went to seminary, the, the, we, we, it was Easter time, and so some of the students got together with some of the teachers, the professors, and we had a meal together and sat around this table as a meal, and then we washed each other's feet, which was a very meaningful experience, and shared communion with one another. It was quite different. I know that in the Mennonite tradition, uh, when they have communion, they always wash feet. Women on one side, men on the other, only men with men, only women with women, and, and then that, they would share the communion together. Um, you can, I can start going through so many different kinds of experiences when we were out camping, how did we do it? And, 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 but I've seen people come to know Jesus in the middle of a communion service. They would come up and, and to take communion because that's what they did. And I would just ask them if they knew Jesus, would they like to ask Jesus into their heart? And right then there, they would break down and start confessing their sin. And uh, it, marvelous things. We've seen it at baptisms. We've shared communion with people after they got baptized. Um, I can go through a whole series of different things. And in each instance, it seems to be something that has the potential of either being full of life or just a ritual about a fond memory of something that happened long ago. And so when I come back and I look at the scripture and I'm going through what Jesus did with his disciples, I've got to put all of these pictures that I've got of what communion is about and what the Lord's Supper is about, I've got to put them on the side. Now, I don't want to negate any of the experiences that you've had with the living Lord at communion. Is anything that's been special to you the first time you took communion, I remember that. Uh, I was uh, seven years old and uh, my dad said, well, you got to get baptized. But we were on a ship on our way to Lebanon, and, 
and I, I was desperate. I wanted to take communion. I said, well, I'll get baptized. And I did. The next Easter, we were in, uh, in uh, Jordan, and my father baptized me in the Jordan River. And, and, it, and that was just a special event. But I remember he said, well, because of your faith and you will do that, then I will share communion. I remember that the first communion I had was in, in the interior a stateroom <laughs> on board a ship on our way uh, to Naples, Italy. None of that should be belittled, negated. Whatever your experience is with Jesus that you've shared at communion, we want to keep that and maintain it. And yet when I come to the scriptures, I want to discover what did Jesus intend to do with his disciples when he sat down with them for this Passover meal? And so we'll look at Luke uh, chapter 22, and we'll begin reading at verse uh, 24. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. It's 14 to 23. Forgive me, I don't know why I typed that wrong in this morning. I must not have been quite awake when I was typing. So, okay, 14. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Father, add your blessing to your word. I noticed that Luke's account of this event misses out the foot washing. It misses out the encounter with Peter and, and Jesus wanting to wash his feet and Peter saying, wash all of me. It doesn't go into that particular detail. He is focusing not, first of all, even on the meal that they're eating. But what he does do is he has these two cups. And that's different from what we have in the other Gospels. It's also not mentioned by uh, 
Paul later on in Corinthians. That is something that's because it's different, I start thinking about it. And I'm wondering why is that so critical in this whole focus? Now, what I do notice is that this passage for the Lord's Supper is short. I also notice that Judas is not named. And there is not a great deal of focus on what Judas is going to do. We had that earlier that he had gone and made a commitment uh, with the Pharisees and they were excited about it. Um, but in this, in this passage, Luke is focusing primarily upon the emblems and the meaning that these are going to have. So let's look at the story again as Luke records it. They've gathered together in the upper room. Jesus is there with his disciples, his apostles. They are lying down. Um, probably on, on cots. There's a table. They're all around the table. I don't know why people lie down to eat, but um, that's the way that they used to do it. And in their lying down, Jesus takes a cup. Now, I have heard and I've read different things. Unfortunately, the only record that has survived to us about what the Sedar meal was at the Passover is from the ninth century. That means that we have no idea in detail how the Passover meal was celebrated in the first century. People have said, and I've heard this, that there was a place set for the Messiah at the table and that there was a cup for the Messiah. I have also read that there were four cups and that there was a particular blessing that was spoken over each of the cups and that Jesus took two particular cups with the blessings that were spoken over them. We do know that he blessed them. We know that he spoke over them with a blessing. This could have been a regular blessing that they had as a ritual every time that they took uh, the, the Passover meal. However, Jesus is giving this Passover meal that is normally considered something where we remember our deliverance out of Egypt, the freedom that God gave us, and this was even more important, the fact that we had become a nation, a Hebrew nation. While we were in, in Egypt, the suffering that we went through bound us together as a people and we came out as a people and now we were given a new country, a land that God was giving to his people and this was where the Messiah was going to come from. So you have this prophetic side of what the Passover meal was about. You have the deliverance side of the Passover meal, and you have the establishment of God's people that are built upon a covenant that God gave to uh, Moses in the wilderness, gave to Abraham uh, when he was starting off. This is an important aspect of what happened at the Passover meal. And Jesus uses this to point to something newer that is going to take place. 
So here they're sitting down, and he takes one of the cups. Now, whether I, I don't know which cup he took. <laughs> I have no idea. But he takes a cup, and he says to them, he says this, when he, when he gives them the cup, he said, uh, take it and share it among yourselves. Now, he, he has started off by saying, I've earnestly desired to eat this meal. I want to sit here and eat this special meal with you, and I'm not going to eat it again until it happens in the kingdom of heaven. I, I'm, this is the last meal that I'm going to eat. And I'm going to eat it with the very people that I've spent the last three and a half years with. These are my closest friends. These are the ones that I have trained and poured my life into. And I am here to serve you. And he sees this entire event as something that instead of being the Messiah, he comes as the Son of Man to serve others. The first thing that I see is that his desire is not for his own safety. His desire is for his own people. And he comes with this incredible Credible statement as he takes one of the cups that's filled with wine. Don't, don't sit there and think that it's grape juice. <laughs> Noah did not get drunk on grape juice. <laughs> and, and neither do the scriptures talk about not getting drunk on grape juice. The fruit of the vine is wine. And he takes this cup that's filled with wine and he says, I want you to share this amongst you. And after they've done that, he takes some bread and he breaks the bread. And the interesting fact is, is that in the midst of this, he breaks the bread and he says to them, this is my body, which is given for you. In other words, he's, he's giving the bread a new meaning. The bread was the bread that they ate quickly on the Passover, knowing that they were, had a deliverance coming. And now he says, no, this is my body that I'm sharing with you. This is a symbol. This is a picture of the breaking of my life to be poured into your life. And the third thing is he takes the cup, whichever one that was, and he gives the meaning of that, and this is the critical part of this entire passage. He says, this is my blood of the new covenant. And more than anything else, the focus of this is not upon the ritual, not upon the prayers that we don't know the prayers that he spoke over these, but the blessing was that this is something that establishes something new for all people in all time. My love for you is going to be a covenantal love. It's going to be a promise that cannot be broken. I don't believe for a moment that the disciples understood that 
at that moment when it was happening and he wasn't about to explain it. But what was going to happen was that in just a few hours time, their whole understanding of what it meant for the Messiah to come was going to be turned on its head. And they were going to be exposed to something new that had never happened before. And here, I think, uh, when he understands and speaks of the covenant in his blood, he turns around and he immediately shares how that ties in with the one that's going to betray him. He says, this is what was planned from before the earth was formed, and it's now going to take place. The patience of God to show throughout history his entire plan and purpose for the redemption and reconciliation of mankind, to understand what the blessing that was given to Abraham was going to be about, suddenly it's going to make sense after it goes through a great explosion of, my goodness, what is happening here, everything that we thought was going to happen is not. And then the way that it does happen is far greater than what anyone could have ever imagined. Let's go back and look at the first cup. The first cup is one, he says, I want you to share this amongst yourselves. He's drinking one cup. And they're to pass it around and everybody to drink of it. Uh, my dad told me a story once when he was visiting one of the sheikhs in the uh, Persian Gulf. And he was there with a U.S. senator and, and a congressman or two. And, and they had this special banquet that they had prepared. And the sheikh sat at the head of the table and all this wonderful food was out there, and his main lieutenant was sitting on his right hand. Uh, my father was there to translate for the uh, Americans that were there, and the fellow was eating something, and he decided that was so good. Oh, this is really good food. He took it out of his mouth and put it into the mouth of the man sitting on his right, who then had to eat what the shake was giving him. And my dad is sitting there, you know, thinking, oh my goodness, my stomach is starting to turn. <laughs> I sure hope he, he's not going to give me anything to eat. <laughs> I, I remember him telling that story. I thought, that's hilarious, you know. That. But what was the shake saying? He's saying, I am the most powerful man in the room. I am the richest man in the room. I have all that I need. And it's this food that nourishes me. It's this food that gives me life. It's this food that allows me to have the knowledge and wisdom that I have to be number one. And I really like it. And I'm going to take the very food that nourishes me and gives me all this authority and power, and I am going to share it with you. The greatest honor he could bestow upon the man sitting on his right was 
to share the very source of life that he was going to get. Now, I thought that's fascinating to me because that's a Middle Eastern event, and Jesus turns to his disciples and he takes this cup and it says, Share the same cup amongst you that the life that God has is going to be the same cup that I have. The same suffering that I'm about to go through is going to be the same suffering that you're going to have on my account. The same life that I have that is eternal is going to be the same life that you will have on my account. Everything that I have, I am sharing with you. The things that give me life are the things that give you life too. Suddenly that took on because of my father's experience. I looked at this with new eyes and I'm saying, my goodness, the cup that they're sharing, because Jesus is sharing the very same cup the last time that he drinks, <laughs> this is life. And he's saying, I'm not withholding any of it from you. When it comes to the next aspect, he's sitting there with them and he says, I'm not going to drink of this anymore until it comes. And he takes some bread and again he gives thanks. Remember he's giving thanks, he's blessing it. He's putting blessing on it. He's imparting life. This is not just words. These are not just fond thoughts. These are not just emptiness. But he puts a blessing on it and he's sharing that this is where life comes from. Now we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. In, in, in the midst of this bread that he's breaking and starting to share with the disciples, the apostles, the sent ones that will be the sent ones. I'm sure that they remembered the feeding of the 5,000, where he took just a few pieces of bread and fed 5,000 people. The life of bread that Jesus breaks is multiplied many times. And they probably thought, my goodness, I remember when I was there and I took off this little tiny bit and gave it to that kid and suddenly there was more there and I kept breaking it off. And I said, have you had enough? And, and I'd start breaking off more and giving more. And, and, and it happened, the multiplication happened in my hands. And then they're watching Jesus break the bread and they're looking at something with the memory that the bread is multiplied when Jesus blesses it and gives it out. There is not just the fact that my life is going to be filled with the life that comes from Jesus. There is a multiplication that happens. You see, the bread is not just something for me. The bread is something to bring life 
to all those around us. It's a multiplication. It's something that happens because of what what God is doing at this moment in history is that it's going to spread to the ends of the earth through every century and through every millennium. It's going to touch people from any walk of life. Think about it. We look very different from the people who lived in first century Judea. We speak differently than the people who lived in first century Judea. As a matter of fact, the songs that we sing are very different from the ones that they sang in first century Judea. (laughs) I can imagine that the apostles saying, what are those Americans doing? I mean, <laughs> did you listen to their, to their hymns that they were singing? Why can't they sing dirges like we did? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sitting there going, you know, it's very different. The musical instruments, are they, I'm sure they did not have an electronic piano that they played from a machine <laughs> back then. And, and, and in all of these things, the differences that are there doesn't change the encounter or the experience that you can have and the multiplication of the life of Jesus that happens in the breaking of bread. And when he takes the final cup and he's blessing that, and he says, I am going to identify with the Passover lamb. This is going to be the last time that blood has to be shed for the forgiveness of sins because this is the once and for all experience that's going to happen in my body. And this, my friends, is greater than the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's greater than the covenant God made with Moses. This is the covenant that God made that's going to surpass every other promise that God has and is the surety of everything that God promises is yes and amen. It is the promise that God makes that he says that because of the blood that is shed, I will forgive the sins of everyone who confesses them to me. Because of the blood that was shed, my promises are yes and amen to everyone who believes. Because of the blood shed, there is eternal life for the one who comes. In my name. (laughs) Whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. A hope, a future that is incomparable to anyone or anything else. I, I... I look at this and he says, is it going to be worth the suffering? Yes. Is it going to be worth the suffering that you're going to suffer? Absolutely. Is it going to be worth whatever it costs for you to be a part of the family of God? It is more than worth it. 
<laughs> and when we come together to share in the communion, however we do it, it needs to be a renewal of the depth and the inspiration, the renewal in my spirit that God is imparting into my body his life, his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding, his healing, his goodness, his kindness, his love for all. It starts to change my thinking. It changes my habits. It changes my words that I speak. It changes my actions. It changes the way that I, I, I encounter other people. Jesus never built a church. He never built a school. He never built a university. He just traveled like a, like a, 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 a roving preacher. But what he did build was people. He built character. He built life. And how did he do it? Knowing how frail we are? By imparting his life into us. Giving us not only the power to live the Christian life, but the authority to live the Christian life. He imparts. And when I take communion, however I do that, I am receiving into my heart and into my mind the life of Jesus. I, I'm fascinated by the early church. The early church celebrated communion at a meal. They met home to home. They met in the temple. They broke bread together on the first day of the week. It was something that the early church did a lot. It was, it was said, for as often as you eat and drink this, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes. It's not for as few times in your life that you take this that you remember that. No, there's something about the richness. I mean, imagine only eating once a year or twice a year. I think you'd be hungry. Matter of fact, I don't think you'd survive very long, would you? <laughs> and, and yet we place the communion on such a, a special pedestal that we think that it has to be something special where I, I come and examine myself and, and look through all the horrible things or have to go to confession or whatever I, whatever the tradition is that we've gone through, and we lose sight that we need the authority and power to overcome the evil one and the sicknesses and the struggles and the temptations in life every day. We need the presence of God and the reminder that we are his his children, and that he has equipped us with everything that's necessary for godliness and for salvation. That's what happens at communion. I, I look at what the, uh, what the early church did, and what happened, unfortunately, is that with everything that you can do with God's word is you can abuse it. 
You can make God's word if you just pick and choose things out. That's why I like going through a whole book, <laughs> because then you got to go through everything. You know, you're not leaving anything out. But if I pick and choose stuff that I like, I might end up coming up with some stuff that's not really very good. And I can twist the Bible to make it say what I want it to say. And that happened at communion in Corinth, that they ended up having a meal. And some of the people, like the slaves, who couldn't get there until later, when they got there, the, the food was gone. And maybe some of the folks had a bit too much wine. And I said, you know, guys, you're not taking care of one another. You, you are abusing what the communion was really all about. This is something that is gracious, wonderful, and a part of our regular, normal Christian life. It's something that we just don't think about with fond memories, Jesus died for me. But this is the life that Jesus gives me here and now. And whatever I am lacking or what others are lacking, it becomes either a personal ministry to me or it allows me to minister to others. And that becomes something special. And how that can happen, you know, different people do different things in different ways. But at the foundation of this, as Jesus shared it with his disciples, is that he is establishing a new covenant that is powerful when it comes to understanding both the love that God has for me and that he has for you. And that that becomes the place of unity, regardless of our skin color, of our background, of our experiences, of our languages, of our culture. When we come together at communion, there is a unity there that we will experience forever in heaven. And we can begin to experience it here and now in that we share that and have it available to the people who love Jesus to come together around that table. It's the place where the kingdom of God is built with friends. That, that's still something that has always been my desire. I, want, I don't want there to be a difference between clergy and laity and special pedestals that you put pastors on. I want the church to be a group of friends that are building the kingdom of God together. Where we, where we complement each other with our gifts, our talents, our attitudes of service, our willingness to share and impart and carry one another's burdens. That's, that's what the church is supposed to be. And when we come together in communion, that's where the level ground is. We say that's the level ground at the foot of the cross. It's true. <laughs> and, and we remember that each time we share in the breaking of bread. Father, I want to thank you that as we look at this passage, not only have you started off by saying or ending that passage with, this is my blood of the new covenant, but you are fully understanding 
what the next step is going to be. The pain, the sacrifice, the death that is to come. And at that moment, you connect the dots to the one who is going to betray you. We understand that Judas probably had no idea of the critical role that he was going to play in our salvation. But that we can see the fulfillment of God's purpose and plan from the beginning of time. As it's now being played out in the pages of Scripture in such a vivid way that we can look at it. And it can inspire us. It can transform us into the image of your Son. And Jesus, we ask that we would continually be in that process. That we would continually be in the process of being changed and transformed into the image of Jesus. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.